Good morning. You might hear coffee brewing in the background. One of the advantages of recording and podcasting lectures is that you can do it any time of day. So, it's 7.30 on Tuesday, and this is our lecture to be heard before class tomorrow, Wednesday, August uh, 28th. And the subject today is archaeology and the archaeological story which is a story just like creation stories we can remember from our discussion last time that fact and fiction are not polar opposites any more than the good and evil twins are polar opposites but they're a continuum that depends very much on who's telling the story and what purpose the story is serving what we see in the archaeological record is how Indians built their lives around faith and reason. For a long time, archaeologists believed that the ancestors of Indians came to this continent in two waves about 13,000 years ago. They came over the Bering Land Bridge, Bering is spelled B-E-R-I-N-G, between Siberia and Alaska. The theory was that a gap in the polar ice cap opened right about the same time, about 13,000 years ago, allowing Indians to pass through to the south of the continent. In New Mexico, archaeologists found evidence that seemed to confirm this theory at a town called Clovis, C-L-O-V-I-S. They found spear points that were tied on the end of a wooden shaft and used to kill large mammals like mammoths, sloths, tigers, buffaloes, all those things that you see in the natural history museums when you were a little kid. Over the years, those same spear points were found all over North America and were assumed to be evidence of the earliest peoples who lived here. It was thought that the people who used these spear points lived in caves or rock shelters, that they were politically egalitarian, and that they moved around a lot and hunted in groups of 10 to 20 families. So this was the story for a long time. But in 1997, archaeologists turned up evidence of human habitation at Monte Verde, Chile. Monte Verde is M-O-T-E, M-O-N-T-E, pardon me, new word V-E-R-D-E, Monte Verde, Chile, more than 12,000 years ago, indicating that the people there arrived before the ice-free corridor opened up. So archaeologists began to revise their arrival estimates. Maybe it was when the ice pack was smaller, like 20,000 years ago. Or maybe it was 30,000 years ago, by boat from Siberia. Or maybe they came from Australia via the South Pole. Some people think... Some... Some people think that folks came here as long as 50,000 years ago. Today, many archaeologists still believed in the Bering Land Strait, but they think that most of the Indians that came over stayed in Alaska, with small separate groups struggling down the glacier over the next several thousand years. Instead, most of the Hemisphere's Indians are descendants of these other groups, the groups that... um, strayed after, that did not stay in Alaska after the Bering Land Strait opened, or groups that came over before the polar ice cap receded and the Bering Land Strait opened. So just to give you some perspective, Great Britain was empty of human habitation until about 12,500 B.C., or about 14,500 years ago, because it was still covered by glaciers. Evidence is now showing us that the New World, so-called, was inhabited well before that, possibly as long as 50,000 years ago. 
So think about which world is old and which world is new. So this new evidence has made archaeologists rethink the lifestyle that these people had. Rather than exclusively hunting, Indians also likely fished and gathered fruit. Beginning about 10,000 years ago, Pleistocene mammals, Pleistocene is spelled P-L-E-I-S-T-O-C-E-N-E, Pleistocene mammals died out and the human population grew and developed agriculture. Hunters on the Great Plains developed a bison hunting culture, not on horseback, but by using various techniques to drive bison over cliffs. Gender roles also began to shift as the group's economy shifted. Women became the producers and processors of corn, while men focused on hunting. Women also gathered fruits, nuts, and seeds and participated in hunting by tracking herds and processing meat. Anthropologists who study culture and study human beings see gender status as connected to economic contribution, and both men and women contributed to Native societies, with the emphasis changing depending on how settlements were set up, whether they were more sedentary or more nomadic. Settlements became more sedentary around... 10,000 years ago. Um, In California, for example, Indians hunted and gathered their food. They didn't farm, but they did live in permanent settlements. They weren't nomads. They weren't wandering all over the landscape, um, hunting animals and gathering roots and berries. Over 7,000 years ago, Indians on the northwestern Columbia Plateau were harvesting salmon. They were fishermen for a living. The environmental diversity of the Great Basin area, that area between Idaho, uh, Nevada, and um, kind of north and, and east of there, that environmental diversity of the Great Basin lent itself to many different styles of life. Some peoples would live in sedentary villages on a seasonal basis, so certain parts of the year they would um, live in a village, and other parts of the year they would um be out traveling, essentially. They would eat mostly fish, supplemented with game and plants. People began burying their dead in cemeteries about 6,000 years ago. Now, cemeteries establish a relationship between a people and a place, both spiritually and physically. Remember how we talked about oral tradition establishing a relationship between people and place. Archaeological evidence of cemeteries also shows a relationship between people and place. Now, around 3,000 years ago, Indians in the southwestern United States started to grow corn and squash. They constructed irrigation systems to get water to these crops. About 5,000 years ago, we see evidence of trade networks throughout the Americas. People in the Great Basin were active traders, trading items from the Pacific coast and their own region for food, hides, and other perishable goods from other places. We'll learn a lot more about this in the video we're going to see on Wednesday in class. So, when you invest labor in land, land becomes a place you change, not just a place you love. And Indians changed their landscape tremendously. They constructed irrigation systems, using fire to manage forest ecosystems. They diverted creeks and rivers. They built aqueducts and roads. And they built spiritual landmarks like earthen mounds in the eastern 
part of the continent and places like Chaco Canyon in the western part of the continent. The Americas were not an untouched virgin land at the time of contact with Europeans. In fact, the land had been changed and manipulated to suit Native Americans' economic and political interests, just as other societies change and manipulate land. The historical record of Mesoamerican societies of folks in Mexico, Mesoamerican is spelled M-E-S-O-A-M-E-R-I-C-A-N, the historical record of Mesoamerican societies indicates that these changes have been taking place for about 3,500 years before Europeans arrived. Between AD 400 and 1300, agriculture begins to appear in many parts of the continent. Corn was grown in the Great Basin area on the southern plains, um, in the southwest, as well as in the southeast and in the northeast. By 1450, much of Indian America was farmland, and farming people developed reciprocal trade relationships with hunting people. This is a very different. This is very different than the image we have of nomads, people wandering the landscape, that Europeans described when they first arrived. So all of this makes you wonder how they were so economically self-sufficient in areas with few things that things that we take for granted like water um and this question begs an exploration of the spiritual relationships that surround economic subsistence production natural resources and therefore land hunting and gathering for example were religious activities as well as economic ones and here we're getting back to the theme of how oral tradition and belief systems assure harmony and subsistence the religious qualities of hunting and gathering stemmed from the rituals that people performed to assure a productive hunt or a good harvest. Unlike the Judeo-Christian cre creation stories, which asserted man's dominion over the earth and encouraged humans to see natural resources as fit for human consumption, most native creation stories asserted a different relationship between land and humans, one of survival, sometimes chaos, and where different features of the natural world, land formations or animals, etc., have personalities and their own needs. The emphasis has been on a reciprocal relationship between man and nature, not an extractive relationship. Thus, prayers and ceremony are necessary to survive to make sure the earth and animals are giving humans what they need to survive. Every culture area has its own set of ceremonies around assuring subsistence. In the plateau and northwest, for example, ceremonies were held for the first salmon catch. In the Great Basin, they had a round dance or a world renewal ceremony around the pinion nut harvest. World renewal... Um, is to maintain world order, health, and resources, and those ceremonies seek to prevent disasters. Again, we're reminded how this theme of chaos and disorder is resolved into harmony through spiritual ceremonies. In the Southwest, ceremonies were conducted to ensure rain for the corn crop and squash and beans. In the Plains, we had ceremonies to ensure a good buffalo hunt. All over the United States, what became the United States, belief systems emerged as peoples moved around, recombined, and came into contact with one another's cultures. So, for example, um, 
Well, don't worry about it. You don't need another example. You have ones from the plains. You have examples from the southwest, from the Great Basin, the plateau, and the northwest about how ceremonies assure subsistence um, in different economic environments. So moving on, the archaeological record doesn't demonstrate a series of isolated Indian settlements and communities, but rather vast networks of trade and migration and communication. So beliefs, technologies, raw materials were spread far and wide throughout the continent. Exchange is the key to understanding America before Columbus, rather than isolation or concepts that are implied by isolation, such as purity or lack of um, contact or cultural change. Rather, the change that was occurring in the Americas before the arrival of Columbus was tremendous, and it was based on the kind of trade networks that Native people had developed and the kinds of cultural exchanges that went along with those trade networks. So to conclude, Native folks had historical experiences well before Europeans arrived. Their communities changed over time, and they were bound to one another through the experience of change rather than through the maintenance of a timeless tradition. We see that point made by archaeology, by evidence from anthropology, but also by evidence from Native American oral traditions. So in the end, these uh, ways of understanding these epistemologies tend to come together more than they are separate and we're better off as as learners if we understand how these stories are different but also how they inter- mutually reinforce each other we have a more complete picture of the past that way okay um, I will talk to you guys this way again soon thanks <laughs>